This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Hazen Odell is a biologist, TV presenter, a national history guide. He's also an artist who is Kutenai and Salish Native American and Greek by descent. He founded The Wild Classroom, a non-profit online web series offering teachers and students quality natural history educational video for use in the classroom and at home. And as the host of National Geographic's Primal Survivor series, he has documented many adventures and tales of survivalism and his experiences living with and and working alongside Indigenous people in remote regions of the world. So today on the show, he joins me to share more about his travels and adventures, how he went from teacher to survivalist, and some of the important lessons he has learned from connecting with Indigenous communities from around the world. Welcome, Hazen. How are you today? Oh, I'm great. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. So you're joining me all the way from the States today. Uh, thank you so much for that. So Primal Survivor is kicking off its uh, next series, uh, really exciting, all over the Andes. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but first, you know, Hazen, maybe I can uh, we can spend a little time just getting to know you. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about... Um, what first sparked your love for nature and the outdoors? I mean, here in Malaysia, we have this Malay phrase, right? And it's called tak kenal maka tak cinta, which means if you don't know it, you can't love it, right? And I feel that has a lot to do, uh, you know, with how we how that na- love for nature sparks. How is it for you? I definitely think the more you know about something, the more you care about it. That's for sure. Um, I've always, I've just always had an affinity towards nature. Um, my first memories were catching bugs and putting them in some sort of container and then playing with the bugs all day long. And then pretty soon it was coffee cans full of snakes and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and I think I was nice to have grown up at a time where we could easily choose a fixation like that with where I got to live. There was nature all over the place. If you decided that you wanted to try to catch it, cause it was in my backyard under a brick or a, something like that. So that is where I spent all of my time. And since I was fixated on it, I wanted to know about it. My folks aren't necessarily nature lovers, but fortunately, you know, whenever I asked questions, they'd try to get me a book on it or something. And then that kind of grew up from, it went from bugs to snakes to tropical fish and then to tropical plants. And and I think that that childlike wonder definitely still exists in me. Because like you said, the more you know about something, the more you care. And then also... The more you know about something, the more you realize you don't know that much. There's more to learn. And I think that there's many, many lifetimes left for Hazen to be able to keep learning about it. So it never gets boring to me, and I want to keep learning. And I think with my job and my travels, it's just absolutely perfect for me. But I was always the person that in school, grade school through high school, kind of trying to sneak out of the schoolyard during recess, not playing football, <laughs> but I was catching grasshoppers and praying mantises. And, and um, yeah, I think anybody that grew up with me could attest to that. And so I am still doing the same thing today. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, you know, of course you did uh, spend some time as an educator, isn't it? You are a biologist. I guess it was just a natural flow of things, isn't it, going into that sort of field? Yes. I'm the first person kind of in my entire lineage to go to try to get a, a, a college and university education. Okay. But I think it was um, my folks recognized that I had just such a endless passion for nature that I had to do something with it. And so um, they really encouraged me and did their best. 
with the amount of knowledge that they did have about schooling. They just said, you know, you're going to have to go to school somehow. And I did. I stuck through it. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but um, got my biology degree and then started doing a bunch of biology work and kind of went that route through academia and, and as a profession. And then, but then as course, of course, just because I'm so interested in this stuff, I get really excited about talking about it. So all of that kind of got bundled up and then it, it made me become a teacher. And so I got to share that that was just my, my soapbox, you know, I could have a, have a classroom and, and share my enthusiasm with uh, the natural world. And, and so I did that in a formal classroom. And then now what I get to do with National Geographic is I just, I honestly, I have a, have a, a classroom of people from all over the world that I can't even fathom how many people get to listen. And, but for the peace and for the people that can bear with, <laughs> they have the patience for me while I get excited about stuff they're watching. And I think that that's, that's awesome. So I'm still very much of a teacher, I think. And if you can talk to me a little bit about uh, Wild Classroom. So that was a nonprofit online web series, right, that you created. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, that was with a, a good friend of mine. And, I, you know, I've always wanted to be a nature show presenter. I've, you know, my, my biggest hero is David Attenborough. Mm-hmm. And I always wanted to be somebody like that. But just like a lot of people want to be a drummer in a rock and roll band, they can dream all they want. But that never really comes to fruition. Boy, I, I am so incredibly lucky to be doing, I'm, I'm not David Attenborough, but I'm sharing my love for nature with a lot of people. And, and that's so exciting to me. And don't tell anybody about this, but I get paid for it at the same time. It's just crazy. It's insane. <laughs> um, it is. But so the wild classroom was just something that uh, I met another, another guy that became one of my best friends. And he, he was really driven to be a filmmaker. And we connected. We actually went to grad school together, but we didn't know each other at the time. Mm-hmm. And we started to just go out on all these outings and we'd start to amass a team of other enthusiasts. And we were just making some ultra hammy um, nature shows. I mean, just so incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> but um, it was what, what we loved to do. And pretty soon um, that we put that stuff up on YouTube. And we didn't know what was happening, but then there was a, a publishing company named Pearson Publishing that saw us on, on YouTube, and then they wanted us to be involved with their educational textbooks, and they have textbooks that go, again, all over the world. So we were starting to make educational videos for them, That uh, those super hammy, cheesy uh, uh, videos seemed to resonate <laughs> and we kept doing it and here I am and still he is Rob Nelson was the guy that I was working with mm-hmm. we're still proper nerds and we're still <laughs> hellbent on on making making films whether they're good or bad but it's I think some of the most fun that we ever have in our lives so um, and then we just like sharing our adventures too because so oftentimes our love for nature kind of plops us right into adventures or or uh, turmoil mm-hmm. yeah 
You're really living the dream, Hazen. I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but you know, when I was very young, I read uh, Gerald Jurel books. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. And he was a uh, he wrote books like My Family and Other Animals. You know, all about natural history. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So basically, you're living my dream because I dreamt one day I would be that person. You know, t- you know, writing stories about it and getting people hooked on on little bugs and catching grasshoppers and things like that. And you know, living in a country like Malaysia, one of the most mega diverse countries in the world, really, you know, it's just everything's out there. I hope you do come to Peninsula Malaysia. One day, I don't know. Have you been? Uh, you've not quite been to all of Malaysia yet, right? No, I mean, there's so much to see. But I will say, I have a lot of a lot of friends that I've acquired through social media on Instagram and things that are naturalists in Malaysia, and the pictures that they show me. Oh my gosh, it's not it's not jealousy, but it's endless excitement of just what they're getting. So yes, it's it's definitely going to be my yearning to go to Malaysia is becoming more and more of a reality. Mm-hmm. as these people have really become good friends of mine. So yeah, nature lovers from Malaysia proper. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. guys are in the epicenter of some really cool stuff. We are. We are definitely. And those pictures, nothing, nothing beats the real thing. So hope to see you very yeah. soon. Um, let's just go for right. a quick break. Here's when we come back. Let's talk about Primal Survivor. Let's talk about this season. Let's talk about all the adventures you've been on. I'm speaking today to Hazen Odell. He's a biologist, a TV presenter. He's also an artist, a natural history guide, and so much more. He is the host of National Geographic's Primal Survivor series, uh, where he talks about his many adventures and tales of survivalism, his experiences living and working alongside indigenous peoples in remote regions of the world. And that's something we're going to focus on as well after this, you know, how important it is to have indigenous peoples and local communities in that conversation about conservation, uh, whether it's for biodiversity or whether it's to battle the climate crisis. We'll have more after this quick break. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. With me today, Hazen Odell. He's a biologist and TV presenter. He is the host of National Geographic's Primal Survivor series. He has documented adventures and tales of survivalism from all corners of the world. Uh, he's joining us to share more about his travels and adventures, but also, you know, how his work informs conservation of these areas as well. Uh, and, you know, Hazen is also, has been working a lot with Indigenous peoples in from remote regions of the world. He's going to share some of his experiences. Um, um, first, though, Hazen, can we talk a little bit about Primal Survivor, right? I mean, that is something that you started. I mean, you wanted to create it. Can you talk to me about the yeah. inspiration for creating it? Uh, yeah, and for someone who's totally new to the series, who perhaps might not have caught it, how would you describe it to them? Well, it is, uh, to describe Primal Survivor, it's essentially going out into the some of the most remote and isolated regions in the world. And there are people that have kind of perfected a lifestyle or a culture to be able to live in those under those circumstances. And so they are like they are as well in the heart of nature in their own way. So if you're going to learn about nature, you got to learn from the locals. And I think all of this really came. It really it developed naturally because of. Well, when I was 19, like I said, I was the first person in my lineage to have gone to college, but I pretty much dropped out uh, just a few months into it. Uh, just I wasn't accustomed to schooling like that, and, and I wasn't learning about all the different kinds of spiders and creepy crawlies and everything I really wanted to learn and expected to learn. Instead, I was learning about dumb stuff like the cell cycle and Krebs cycle and horrible stuff. <laughs> And chemistry, oh my goodness. So I actually, I took off and went to 
kind of the pinnacle of biodiversity, which is um, the upper Amazon region, mm -hmm. and had an opportunity to go to, to Ecuador. I thought that I would be there as a 19-year-old. Gosh, I had honestly, a, well, I had $78 to spend oh uh, while I was there. And I thought that I would be there till the money ran out, um, living off of rice and fishing from a, from a river. And I thought I'd be there, gosh, give me, give me a month and a half or so. And, and I wound up spending eight months out there for the first time. And it was just because I was a child. I was 19, just a greenhorn, didn't know anything. And I was living in, a, I was kind of camped out in a remote area where the only people that were there were indigenous people there. And for the first time in my life, I had met people that knew so much about their local surroundings. It was something that I had always, I'd learned about it via books, but never a local person to show me all the names of all the plants and what the calls of the birds are. And, and every, they, they would know every single name of all the fish. And I only knew names of fish because of all I did was research and look at books and had aquariums my whole life. But these people knew it firsthand. So those those people that were living in those areas kind of took me in because they they knew I was on my own and I probably wouldn't last out there on my own. So if I didn't if they didn't take me in, I would have died out there probably. But uh, yeah, for the first time in my life, I had been exposed to people that knew every single name of the tree. They knew what that tree, why it was good, why it was the strongest, why it was the most rot resistant, how you could make string out of it. It's provides fruit, provides medicine. They knew so much. And really, every human in our past, we were like that. But it's not uh, right at arm's reach for a lot of us. And so even me being of Kootenai Salish and Native American heritage, it's something that I would have always craved. But I, in the way I grew up, I didn't necessarily have access to that kind of information. So that was my first exposure to indigenous knowledge. And I first went to South America with the agenda of seeing and experiencing wildlife. But at the end of that, I knew that for me to learn what I wanted to learn, I had to learn it firsthand from the people that know the very best. So that eight month first trip wound up being a, something that I did every year for about four months, for about 10 years. And then really that just became my lifestyle where I would, I kept following academia when I would come back home, got my graduate degree and biology degree. And then that gave me access to exploring remote regions of, South, of the South Pacific, um, Southeast Asia as well, a lot through Indonesia. And again, I was really trying to look for traditional living people that would know, could tell me everything about the wildlife on this particular region of this one obscure island on Indonesia or, or another weird island in in Vanuatu. So you talked with the locals. And so then that just became something that I would try to position myself where I could meet the people, maybe live with the people and be there for months at a time and learn, yeah. learn things that you can't learn in a book. And like I said, that became my lifestyle. And I always, I knew that the things that I was seeing from these people, I mean, they're, they are my mentors. I'm so incredibly inspired by them. And so many of them didn't have a spokesman. But whenever I'd come back home and try to tell stories about what I had experienced, what these people showed me or what I got to see, 
you know, they're just stories. Uh, some people, they just sort of glaze over. They can't even comprehend it. It's so out of their realm of understanding. And I thought, gosh, you know, the world needs to see how magical these people are. They need to see how much they know, their wealth of knowledge, as much as we think, you know, we could be modern humans and do all that and how much we know about everything around the world. We really know little bits of little things. We all know the same amount. It just depends on where we cater our knowledge to. So um, I kept trying to hit up different without knowing anything about television, but I tried to go to all the channels and anybody interested in television said, Hey, I'm making these science education videos. I'd really like to share my experiences that I have with these people. And so many people just, you know, I got so much feedback from different channels. They said, you know, nobody cares about culture. Nobody cares. And I just did not take that as an answer. And I kept doing it, kept making videos nonetheless. And fortunately there was one production company that after courting each other for many years, they wound up kind of really understanding my true story about what I've been doing since childhood. And especially since I was 19 and traveling and living the way I do. And, um, after I think, uh, they saw something in me and they saw something novel. And even though the powers that be said it couldn't be possible, they didn't believe that. And they actually went down and traveled with me because I said, well, I'm going back with my friends and I'm going back to see my friends and see my family in Ecuador where I've been living since I was 19. And you won't believe my stories until you go there yeah. yourself. And they actually took me up on that offer, believe it or not. So the owner of the company went he hired one of his cameramen and um, luckily, fortunately, his daughter wound up working in an orphanage over there oh. in Ecuador. And these guys are from England. So it was just all serendipitous and um, took them all on an adventure of a lifetime going down a river and meeting the tribe that kind of raised me. And we shot a little pilot and they shot that around and a couple a couple of different channels turned their nose up at it, but it was National Geographic that saw something that they really liked. And Wonderful. my goodness, from from that little mini mini expedition that we went on, I think we're we're ten years into making Primal Survivor. And if you want an example of somebody that's living his dream, it's it. I get to make Primal Survivor. It's so awesome. That is awesome. And, you know, well done on, you know, never giving up and wanting to tell these untold stories, right? I mean, yes, of course, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, you perhaps, but wanting to tell these unwritten, um, you know, and really crucial knowledge that is not out there and which is really, really important towards conservation, towards, you know, our uh, improving biodiversity loss, you know, all of those issues, right? I mean, again, so critical this information because, like you said, they know the name of everything. They can also tell when things aren't working out so well, right? Like if there is more rain, perhaps if, you know, there's, a, right. you know, all those sorts of things, right? They, they're so in touch with, with the land that they live on. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And in all of that, right, I mean, like, you know, 10, 10 years of Primal Survivor and all of that, um, you know, you've collaborated, you've lived with, you know, communities all around the world in jungles in all sorts of different uh, habitats and, and areas. How did you make sure that the work you did was respectful to the landscape that, you know, that they called home? When, when we go to these places and we're making a television program, we always definitely make sure that any any influence that we have, we are making an influence. We're outsiders and we're making a film. 
you know, it, it can it can be intrusive if if you think about if we're if we're with a family of hunters and gatherers, um, they can't afford to just stop and not eat today because every day they have to go hunting, they have to go fishing, they don't have time. So we have to we have to accommodate their lifestyle when we're making these programs, and so we will send. We have to make sure that that they want to be displayed, they want to be. Um, interviewed and so many of these places where they're living there isn't any accommodation so you know we're setting up tents right where they live and we we make sure it's like hey this this might we're kind of encroaching two weeks of your life are you guys okay with this and sometimes we get into communities or we we do some research on communities that we would like to be with and they're they're just not ready for that or um, they have other things going on and that's just perfectly fine. So we move on with other people. And I think the benefit now about what's been going on is that these people that we're with, that we have exhibited, um, like I said, they're, they're finally being given a voice. And I do want Primal Survivor to, to be able to give a little bit of glimpse, not only to, you know, how extraordinary their lives are, but I really would like to talk about some of the issues that they're facing with how the world is rapidly changing with modernization, colonization, agriculture, all that sort of stuff. And I think so many, well, I really cannot come up with an example of any traditional living person, indigenous living person that is not under threat and having their, their lifestyle and cultures pretty much being, being threatened. Yeah. And a lot of that is because their environments, so many people that are left that the most traditional people are the people that are really living on the edge now. Um, they're they're being stressed to their outer limits, whereas all the places that were very easy to live have been colonized by now we're at 7 billion people. So, you know, those that modernization of the world is pushing people that want to live their traditional lifestyle further and further away. So when we're talking about things like climate change, when we're talking about animals being threatened, their food sources being threatened, their waters being threatened. They're the ones that are right at the forefront of experiencing that. And if they don't have a way to voice right from, from hand to mouth, being able to say, this is, this is actually what's happening. We, it's not that we wish we could have more fish in the rivers. We don't have, we can't eat, you know, and, and, and that's, that, that's a huge difference when we're talking about trying to make changes and and the impacts of the modern world on the entire planet. And for you yourself, you know, like, for example, you've been going to Ecuador since you were 19, right? And I mean, you've been traveling all across the world. Are you witnessing, you know, personally, have you, uh, are you witnessing some worrying trends, perhaps, you know, like, like more deforestation uh, or uh, all encroachment on, you know, not just the, the habitat and the landscape, but also on the cultures of people? Yes, yes, absolutely. Whether it's, um, there are places being overfished by industrialized uh, fishing, dams being made, especially. I see that a lot through Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, when you talk about, um, we, we did our episode in the Mekong River. Mm. That's, a, that's definitely, a, it's the largest inland fisheries in the entire world. And with the creation of dams now, um, that protein source that feeds tens of millions of people, um, gone. It can it can be gone within a matter of years, yeah. and and the people that are relying on that, tens of millions of people don't have a voice. 
for that. Yeah. And, and so I, I see that with, the, and then it just goes on with, like I said, the forests, the just expansive of land, expansive amounts of land that people require for if they're traditional pastoralists, like the reindeer herders um, that are in Mongolia and up by like Lapland. And even, even in Europe, those, those indigenous people still have to, their lifestyles are being changed dramatically. Yeah. It, but the list goes on. It does. Yeah. But I mean, okay, but through Primal Survivor, of course, you are trying to 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 give voice to, uh, as we said, to give voice to these communities, you know, to to show firsthand, you know, what is actually happening uh, in all uh, across the world. And of course, Primal Survivor over the Andes just premiered uh, well over here on the 16th of January. Uh, what, what took you to the Andes? And, you know, talk to me a little bit about preparing uh, for that particular adventure. Well, the, the Andes was what a wonderful experience that was. So we spent about four months there, and I, even though I spent a huge part of my life in Ecuador, Peru, in, in those areas, I had never really been further south of that. Okay. And when you get into the highlands of the Andes, you have such um, really, you have a huge diversity of cultures that are there. Um, the landscapes, that makes easy television right away. <laughs> um so many of the places truly felt remote. They were remote, but there were people finding out ways to raise their families there. And they've been doing that for generations. So we covered different cultures as far as hunters and gatherers, fishermen, pastoralists. So people that were raising goats or reliant on alpacas or llamas, um, the hunters and gatherers. And then we even got into some traditional cultures that they themselves were cattle ranchers too. So oh, wow. the great thing is all along the way, traveling through the, the high Andes, uh, essentially moving east to west across the Andes and all the different people, you know, there could be at, on the mountaintop was a completely different language group as opposed to the people that were living down in the valley. And the environment is different, and because of that, the cultures are different, and they may only be 10, 15 miles from one another. And it was kind of like getting a crash course in all these different cultures, uh, one new one every few days. It was really, really wonderful. Things you, you know, you wouldn't have probably not have read about in the books. I mean, it must be there, but, you know, this one you got to experience firsthand. Crazy. Oh, absolutely. When you talk about firsthand and, and I was on the move and for a lot of these people, they have to be on the move too, if, especially if they're like, for example, I was with a, a group of people that were, are, were alpaca herders. So they were on the move getting their, their alpacas to better grassland and they were going in the same direction I was. Um, and fortunately, again, serendipitously, I was kind of taken in by them and I was just along for the ride and what I got to see and, and what I got to experience as far as how they take care of their animals, how they carry their, their own little children along the way on this journey when they're walking seven to 10 miles a day, right at snow line at 10,000 feet elevation. Wow. And then they've got to settle down with the alpacas make camp that night and keep moving on the next day. And that's their lifestyle for much of, for much of the year. And yeah, you can't really read about that, but experiencing it and just seeing how they, 
how they go about feeding themselves and how they go about reading the land. And uh, that in itself is a lifetime's worth of knowledge, you know, but I was only with them for a few days, unfortunately. But, you know, when I think about it and I'm thinking about exact experiences that I had, I'm thinking about how special those people are and I'm, you're making me miss them actually because <laughs> they're wonderful people. And you know what I'm getting from you is right. It goes back to the title of your show. You know, it's all about survival, right? This is nothing. It's, it's it's that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? They're just trying to live their lives, but there are all these outside sort of like uh, forces or you know events that are uh, threatening that basic way of of them surviving, their basic need for survival. I mean, is that something also that you experienced when you were at the in, in the Andes? Um, yeah, I think so. But, but I do want to say they're so attuned and so conditioned to their environment and their struggles that you could bring somebody that outs that's outside of that and they would be much more endangered. But for them, that's their everyday life. And there is, once they've mastered that, they're no longer necessarily in a survival situation. They're, they're just simply thriving. Okay. okay. You know, if you get them at the, at the right time, which is wonderful to see. So I think a lot of these people put a lot of things into, well, the, one thing that I've always thought about is they really give us an understanding about the true potential of humans' ability to survive. Mm -hmm. You know, what we think is a hard day or a hard workout is nothing compared to what these guys, uh, that's their normal every day. Yeah, it's just, you know, the resilience and maybe a lot of stress that would be for somebody else, but that's just how they live. And then they're also, another thing is so many of these survival shows are all about being alone and, and doing it all by yourself. And I just, I don't believe that we're social creatures and all these people have mastered these environments because they're doing it together. And because they're going through these stresses, they, there's sort of, there's a brotherhood, there's a friendship, there's a family bond, there's a tribal strength that I get to see that is really lacking in the modern world that I see. Interesting. And and for you, as somebody who's entering their, their, their land and their world, right? I mean, it must also take a lot of uh, mental and physical preparation, you know, to make this whole series. I'm sure that's been the case throughout. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how you get yourself ready for these uh, for these adventures and, you know, how maybe something, what was the toughest thing that you had to overcome before you did all of this? Oh, well, fortunately... Maybe it's because of a lot of ADD or whatever, but I'm constantly active. And I, like right now, I'm building my house and I'm a, I'm a sculptor too. And everything's very, very physical to me, like heavy iron, heavy beams, lots of wood, nailing stuff. And if somebody was to call me on a telephone in the middle of the day, I catch myself. I didn't know, but I'm, I'm trying to breathe and talk at the same time. But I've been like that all day long. So... <laughs> I think it's just my my personality. I've always been very active and 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 um, maybe maybe a little bit socially unaware. I'm just in my own world. But um, a lot of people will ask. They keep saying, "Gosh, it's so hard what you do." How I know you're kind of getting older. Ouch. How much longer do you think you're gonna? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> How much longer do you think you're gonna be able to do this? And I. And, and, the, and then they asked me the questions, I mean, how do you stay in shape? And it's just like, well, I'm, I'm in shape because this is what I do. Yeah. And, um, 
am, am I getting too old for this? I mean, maybe I'll go about it a different way, but it is honestly what's keeping me in shape is doing exactly what I love to be doing with these folks. So, um, but I think I'm always active. I, I try to be in fighting shape no matter what. So it prepares me for lots. That's wonderful. And, you know, I'm just looking at uh, the different episodes uh, from Primal Survivor. So there's for Over the Andes. So there's Jagged Jungle. There is uh, Over the Andes Hell and High Water. Uh, <laughs> quite, and this one is p- perhaps my favorite Perilous Ascent. Uh, that sounds quite scary as well, but uh, all good. It was, I'm sure, an amazing adventure throughout. It was an adventure every day throughout, indeed, indeed. And and unfortunately, it's not all on film. You get some of the adventures, but the, with the film crew, because I'm again, I'm not out there by myself. There is a film crew, and I'll, I'm I'm proud to say that they they make the show. They make it a beautiful finely crafted show and it helps with telling the story and i'm not the only tough one out there the cameraman has to be amazing he has to follow me with a 60 pound camera everybody has to do that um we're always on the go trying to have create a film and a documentary about these people but you know these people have to set up their hammocks in the middle of the night and you know they're sleeping with snakes they're sleeping with all the mosquitoes they're the ones that are freezing to death in their sleeping bags and and they're they are driven to to make a show about these people and these adventures and um those are the people that i can sit around the campfire for the next 20 however long i'm going to be living 20 40 50 60 years if we're still around we're going to be telling these amazing stories that never made it to the film but we there's lots of them is there's so many untold stories don't let anyone tell you you're too old for this that's rubbish so i hope to <laughs> we hope to see you in malaysia soon you know there's so much here as well um thank you so much yeah thank you so much hazen uh for joining me today so um over the uh, so primal survivor over the andes has premiered already uh it premiered on the 16th of january as i mentioned all those different episodes are up are coming up just you know head to national geographic it's channel 571 on astro if you'd like to catch those episodes so many things um hazen what's next for you what's up uh what are you working on next well truth be told i just i did just get done uh, (laughs) filming for four months (laughs) in another place on the other side of the world from there can't give you much more details than that but i am uh let's see i've been home for about a month now i am still sore from some of the things that i went through but it still feels like also that I was just there yesterday. It's it's on my mind. I'm thinking about the people that I came across, craving the animals that I was with when I was there. Um, yeah, still living a life of adventure. And yeah, it's nice to be home, but um, I'm just as excited to show off that corner of the world as well. Okay, we look forward to that. And of course, you know, um, I, I always ask this of all my guests, you know, and, and particularly because this is a, a show about conservation and, and nature. Um, any last message you'd like to leave our listeners with uh, with regard to, you know, what, you know, protecting what we have and, and, you know, going out and experiencing what we have? Well, I think it's as simple as you just go outside. If You know, you don't need... You don't need fancy boots. You don't need to spend a whole bunch of money on getting the fancy stuff. You just go outside and start paying attention. And um, no matter who you are, nature eventually resonates with all of us. And and you just have to be open to it. And 
Um, for me, I think I go right to the source of, of people that know about it in and out. And those are the indigenous people, but you might not, you may never have the, you might not never have the opportunity to experience some of those people, but nature is just right outside the door. And if it's not make it happen, you know, put up a bird feeder, um, start learning about the bugs that are crossing by and start learning about their stories. Cause they're, Bugs are a lot cooler than just bugs. Definitely. I don't know if that's words of advice, but you know, it's not small. Not what I'm getting, us, it's, it's yeah, it's part of our DNA. So just listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much, uh, Hazen, for joining me today. I've been speaking to Hazen Odell, biologist, natural history guide, artist, sculptor, so much more. He is also the host of National Geographic's Primal Survivor series. And you can catch Primal Survivor over the Andes on National Geographic Channel, which is Astro Channel 571 or on Channel 551 for HD on Mondays at 9pm. If you miss any part of our conversation today, you can always search for the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.